Welcome to the Yogi MD podcast. It's Nadine, yoga teacher, health coach, and retired doctor, here to bring you and your body together, not in sickness, but in health. Thanks for taking this time for yourself. Today, my guest is Dr. Andrea Wojnicki, marketing and communications experts. I met Dr. Andrea through our mutual passion for podcasting. Her show is called Talk About Talk. Today, we are going to talk about improving communication to strengthen our relationships, thereby making them healthier. Good afternoon, Andrea. How are you? Hello, Nadine. Thank you so much for having me. I'm doing very well, and I really appreciate the opportunity to be on your show. I am thrilled to have you. I'd like for you to shine. Tell us your story about you, how you became interested in your career, and why you're so passionate about the work you do. Well, you know, I think I've always been naturally curious about why people say what they say. I'm the person that's, even though I'm an extrovert, I'm also really assessing the people around me and why they're saying what they say. And in retrospect, I think I've done that ever since I could talk. And so that interest has evolved to marketing and a communications focus in my career. So I did my undergrad and MBA degrees in marketing, and I worked my way up through craft foods in sales and then in marketing and brand management. Um, I did a doctorate at Harvard Business School with a major in marketing. And when I first started, I wasn't quite sure what my dissertation was going to be, but I pretty quickly focused in on word of mouth and specifically why people say what they say and why consumers say what they say. I ended up teaching marketing at the University of Toronto and I did some consulting and I'm now running the Talk About Talk learning platform full time. So I'm podcasting and or blogging every week. I'm sharing the research that I've done and I'm interviewing really interesting people who have a take on some aspect of communication. Um, so I'm absolutely loving it. It's really intense, but it's really fun as I know, you know, <laughs> most certainly and we get to have interactions with wonderful people. Mm-hmm. It's true. <laughs> I never would have met you. Right. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. This has been a great platform to do that. Let's talk about communication. Oh, I'd love to. You're podcast intro episode does talk about what motivates people to say what they do. And I find that to be extremely intriguing. And you just said it yourself as well. What does that mean? So based on my research that I've done, and then also an assessment of many, many other academic researchers, I've come up with what I think are the four main motivations for word of mouth. And so word of mouth is why consumers talk to consumers. But I really, I've been thinking about this since you invited me to be on your show. I really think that you can extrapolate this beyond word of mouth to being just humans talking to humans about just about anything. So my four main motivations that I've come up with, why people talk are to be helpful, to be social, to establish balance and to serve their own self-interest. So the, the helpful one is the one that if you ask people, why did you say that? Um, you know, why did you recommend that restaurant? Why did you recommend that doctor? They'll usually say, oh, I was trying to be helpful. And, and it is true. So these motivations aren't mutually exclusive, meaning you can have one or two or three or even four of the motivations happening at one time. 
But um, one of the main motivations that people talk is to be helpful. They want to help people. They want to, you know, rescue the quiet person in the room. Hey, my name's Andrea. How are you? Nice to meet you. Mm-hmm. Um, you're being helpful, right? Then the second reason is to be social. So we want to connect with people. We want to express ourselves. We want to express our identities. We want to learn about other people. So to be, to be social is an obvious motivation for why people talk. The third reason is to establish balance. And so for those of your listeners who have ever taken a psychology class, this is where things like cognitive dissonance come up. So you say things to validate your what you've said previously or what you've done previously or to make sense of the world, right? And it could also be in terms of balance. It could also be reciprocity. So if someone gives you some information, maybe you feel compelled to do the same in return. Um, so that's establishing balance. And then people talk to serve their own self-interest. And this is the one where I really focused with my research. And I just want to say that being self-interested, feeding your ego is not a bad thing. In fact, it's necessary as human beings. If we didn't do it, we would not survive. Um, But people talk a lot motivated by enhancing their social capital or their reputation or enhancing their own self-identity. And that, so that's where my research focus. And in fact, I could turn on and off the propensity um, for people to talk by playing with some, some self-enhancement factors. And, and it's absolutely fascinating. Is it dominance or the desire to feel important a little bit that serves the self-interest? It's not necessarily dominating over other people, but it's feeling a sense of self-worth and establishing Mm. and improving or enhancing your self-identity. So in particular, we all have various identities, right? It could be, I'm a podcaster and I'm a good podcaster and I want to demonstrate that. Or it could be, I know a lot about my health and how to manage my health and what doctors to go to and what hospitals are the best. And so people maybe more likely to share information when that's part of their identity and it's enhancing their reputation, their social capital, and they're, they're enhancing their, I guess their, their self identity and their reputation in the marketplace. Something that I've often wondered because I tend to write reviews when I get those surveys for whatever, you name it. I had an experience and they send the survey and I usually fill it out. But I'm usually really motivated to, say, fill out a survey on my own if I've had an experience at either extreme. It was spectacular, five-star, or it was horrendous, one-star. What makes it less attractive to be somewhere in the middle? Oh, so I am, first of all, thank you on behalf of all the entrepreneurs and business people in the marketplace for taking the time to write reviews. That is awesome. It's also great news for consumers, right? Because then they have an unbiased perspective from someone. I read a paper that talked about how there's a U-shaped relationship between satisfaction and mm. word of or giving reviews. So what you're talking about that you do personally, most people in the marketplace do. And there's a couple reasons for it. So an extremely positive or an extremely negative review are much more newsworthy People don't talk about mediocre experiences because it's just boring, right? So there's that happening. And the other thing that from this paper that I read was that the relationship is also asymmetrical. So people are sometimes more likely all else equal to share 
negative reviews and it could be um, seeking revenge against the company or mm. maybe acting almost as a consumer vigilante and, and mm-hmm. uh, helping other consumers in the marketplace. People also remember negative news more than positive. So there, there's an interesting relationship there between, I guess, the valence of the message and the propensity to talk and to remember. Well, that's very interesting. How do we read nonverbal cues? You know, people say things and they don't necessarily convey the entire message through words. And so how do we become more adept at reading what's not said? I did a podcast episode on body language, and I learned a lot when I was doing the research for that episode and then also the interview. And I also did one on trust and the same thing that really informs because a lot of what we perceive as being trustworthy or not is communicated through body language. My perspective on nonverbal cues and body language is that what's easy to remember is three things, the eyes, Hmm. the hands, and your posture. So, and this is both making an effort on, you know, on your own behalf of communicating trustworthiness and confidence, um, but also when you're interpreting what other people are communicating non-verbally. So the eyes, as I said, things like eye contact, it's such an obvious one. The other one that I find really fun to watch for is when people are smiling, are they just turning up the corners of their lips or are they actually smiling with their eyes? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Someone's face. And, and by the way, we are pretty good as primates at looking at each other in the eye and realizing usually non-consciously or unconsciously what the person's communicating implicitly, right? But it, it, it's kind of fun if you also have this list, the eyes, the hands, and the posture. So we've done the eyes. The hands, this is a really interesting one. People who hide their hands may be less trustworthy. People oh. who hide their hands out in plain view are typically more trustworthy. And this could just be from way back when people would hide things like guns in their, in their pockets or behind their backs, and you never know what's going on. So this is a tip for anyone who's giving a presentation. If you're at the front of a room, hold your hands in front of yourself or even on your hips, but don't put them in your pockets and don't put them behind your back. It's right. like you, we don't know what to do with your hands they're nervous. So they'll put the hands in the pocket and they'll jingle change or keys. And that becomes very distracting. So if you're standing up, take your hands out of your pockets. And the easiest thing to do is to just kind of grasp your fingers together and hold them in front of you. Don't cross your arms or cross mm-hmm. your legs. Cause that can communicate defensiveness as we've, we've probably all heard, but you can hold them at your side or hold them in front of you. Don't put them in your pockets. If you're sitting at a table, Put your hands up on the table. Don't hide them under the table. So that's the second one. And then the third one is posture. Stand or sit up straight. Don't be afraid to take up lots of space and face the person that you're communicating with. So if you're on the receiving end of the communication, if someone is looking meek and small and they're not facing you, you kind of wonder, like, do they really want to be here or are they hiding something? Whereas if they're taking up lots of space, they're expansive, and they're looking you directly in the eye face on, you can probably trust them more. The opposite of the small, meek, timid, lack of confident posture is the power pose. So Amy Cuddy is a social psychologist at Harvard Business School, and she coined the term power pose. 
there's a great TED talk on YouTube that you can find where she demonstrates it, but she stands up, stands up straight, blows her uh, inhales and puts her hands on her hip on her hips and takes up as much space as she can. And it's like the wonder woman pose, I call it, or the power pose. Mm -hmm. This is like the opposite of the meek, small posture. That's interesting you bring that up because uh, one of my prior guests and uh, one of the my mentors who actually taught me how to teach children yoga, I remember advertised the once a pose that she teaches kids. And I think she even calls it the Wonder Woman pose to diminish anxiety and to increase confidence. And right. so she'll take a she'll show the hands on the hips and the feet slightly wider and a tall mountain pose. Just yeah. to give yourself that boost of self-confidence as well. Yeah, I think you described it perfectly. So how do we use our voices to communicate with each other? Well, the voice is, is interesting because it may be a little bit more explicit than some other nonverbal cues, right? But the voice is also really implicitly in really implicitly important because there are some things that people might not be aware of inherent in our voice that can affect our perceptions. One of them is that people prefer deeper voices and they may think that they are more confident and more capable. And I don't even want to get into the reasons why that would be. <laughs> I was doing some research on that. And I don't know if you're, you or your listeners have heard this, but when Margaret Thatcher was running for one of her elections, she actually took voice lessons to deepen her voice. And she partly attributed her success. I mean, obviously, there were many things that contributed to her success. But then if you watch a video or listen to an audio of her voice earlier in her career, and then later on, she deepened her voice purposefully so that people would believe that she was more confident and more capable. And the other thing about the voice is if you want to make your voice sound better, and I know as a yoga instructor and as a medical doctor, this is going to be music to your ears, just breathe, breathe deeply into your belly and your voice will sound better. Hmm. <laughs> Beautifully said. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. <laughs> I'm sure. I'd love to go to one of your classes, by the way. I would love to. And I would love to have you my previous podcast guest, Steve Ritter, author of Team Clock, one of the things he said in a blog post was, what you tolerate, you sanction. He talks a lot about communication to enhance team building skills. Furthermore, he defines team as more than just your stereotypical team, say in sports or at work. It's actually relationships, you name it, and even between two people. What are ways that you would advise to be healthier in our communication to enhance our relationships? That is a great question. We could spend hours talking about this. I agree with everything that he said. And I think the concept of tolerating and sanctioning is really interesting in so many contexts, right? Like even think of mm -hmm. it as a parent. What you tolerate from your child, you're sanctioning. <laughs> I would add in terms of enhancing our relationships through communication, a couple things. One is just empathy. In contrast to what I said about people acting in their own self-interest and talking in their own self-interest, empathy is about being selfless. Trying to look at the person in a, with more of a, I guess, a blank slate 
with no stereotypes, no preconceived notions, and less critically, and just seeking to understand. And then that brings me to the second thing, which is listening and asking questions. I think, and I've really learned this actually from my podcasting, truly listening to what people are saying, and then asking the questions, the the really good questions, the open-ended questions, the tough questions, can enhance communication and relationships more than just about anything. I think the tendency sometimes is thinking, well, I'll harm the relationship if I say something that um, is controversial or might hurt the other party's feelings. So it's easier just to kind of stay quiet. But I, I mean, I would challenge that by saying, well, first of all, your previous guest would say that you therefore are sanctioning what they're mm-hmm. saying, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And secondly, by asking the right question, you know, a non-threatening question, not a leading question, a real curious question has got to help the situation. So, And it brings into play what you mentioned before. So you can make sure you're not using your tone of voice to uh, be controversial or to be abrupt. Um, right. it, there's going to be, a, if you have a nice tone, it, it it provides this sense of safety for the other person, non-threat, so that they know that you mean this in um, a way that you care and that you're not, uh, there's no reason to be defensive. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So you can use your body language and your choice of words and your tone of voice and even the volume of your voice to ensure that you are not threatening and that you are open. So that's another thing with with the nonverbal or body language communication, being physically open, having your arms uncrossed, your legs uncrossed, it communicates that you are open. What are common roadblocks to productive communication? Dishonesty, lack of respect, fear, I can go on and on. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> all of those things come into play depending on the context, but one thing that I can point out based on my research is that we often let our ego get in the way. So here's an example that I find absolutely fascinating. And I've shared this with, with friends um, and, and even with clients. And that is we recommend things to others that we ourselves have experienced as a means to validate ourselves. So in the context of, of health and medicine, someone who visited a particular doctor or a specialist for something, an ailment, and had a pretty good experience, may end up raving about the specialist and the experience, not necessarily to help other people, but just to validate that they themselves had the best care. And I think that that could be Mm. a little dangerous, right? So um, I was talking about this with some girlfriends, and somebody was looking for a, a new car. She said, my lease on my car is coming up, so what car should I get? And I, fe- I thought, it's absolutely fascinating. Everybody was recommending the car that they drive. <laughs> and I thought, wow. I said, here's a question. If the car that you're driving didn't exist, what car would you recommend? Or what car would you consider buying? And everyone was like, oh, that's a good question. I said, yeah, that actually is the more helpful question, right? Hmm. So I think the ego is one of the big roadblocks. And as, as I said before, The fact that we are ego-driven beings is not necessarily a bad thing. It's necessary for our survival. If we didn't have an ego, we'd all end up depressed, right? On the other hand, we need to make sure that when we talk to other people about their concerns, 
that we're focused on them and not on ourselves. Mm. So you're speaking to the yogi in me that requires a lot of self-awareness in the moment to yeah. be able to recognize your pattern of thinking and recognize that it's being self-serving and then to let go of that and look at the person who's sitting in front of you and think, well, what would benefit her or what would benefit him? Right. I, I agree 100%. It is actually really tough work to shift your mindset from the mm -hmm. way you are programmed to be self-serving and to actually think about things more openly, but imagine what we could learn if we were truly open-minded. In preparing for this interview too, I read a really great book, Crucial Conversations. And they talked about, and this piggybacks really well to what we're talking about. Um, they talk about getting in touch with the stories that we tell ourselves. We may tend to specifically paint a picture of ourselves as the villain or the, or the other person as the villain rather, ourselves as the victim or ourselves as helpless in the situation. And so they recommend that you pay attention to the story that you're telling yourself to be more effective. They also say that it's important to know what do I want for myself in this moment? What do I want for the other person in this moment? And what do I want for our relationship in order to move forward appropriately? And then one of the other points they made in the book I found utterly fascinating was understanding that our emotions are not facts. What are examples in your research and your experience with working with people on those stories that we tell ourselves that can hinder communication? Well, first of all, I guess the two things that you mentioned there, one is I call them archetypes, the villain, mm -hmm. the victim. The helpless, I uh, would add the witch, the goddess, the prostitute. Those are the three that women usually um, are construed to, by the way. We are, again, hardwired to conform to those types of stories, to those archetypes. They make sense. And actually, it's fascinating. If you look at most of the movies, even the TV shows that we watch, mm -hmm. they're following the hero through the journey, for example, right? Or the villain or the helpless person, the victim, whoever, go through a journey and they, they often are following these typical, archetypical journeys. And the fact that, and the other thing that you mentioned, the emotions are not facts. I absolutely love that. I, found, I find it empowering that if I personally feel myself getting emotional, I need to register that emotion and understand that it's not a fact. I think also if I'm interpreting someone else's response, is that emotional or is it rational? And mm -hmm. about it that way, I, I find that very, very empowering. And what I try to do myself and, and encourage other people to do is just to constantly ask why, why did you have that response? Mm. That's what the fact is, right? Okay. Why did you have that response? Why did you say that? And you don't necessarily have to share it with a person. You don't need to say, well, I asked myself why you would respond that way. And here's what I think <laughs> in your head. You have sort of a, a meta level, a higher level of awareness. It's like there's, it's almost like there's a camera looking down at the conversation, reading out what's going on. And you just keep asking yourself, why, 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 why? And I guess 
a kind of general advice would be think, why am I here? What am I doing? What are my goals? And it's not that you're being opportunistic. You're just being focused on what you really want to get out of this relationship or out of Mm -hmm. this conversation. And that, that also can be empowering and enabling in kind of informing what your next words should be. Right. Yeah. Another way that we represent ourselves, especially nowadays in society, is really through social media. What drives us to communicate with the world or with a set of friends on social media? I have read some research that says that even when people use avatars and they are not representing themselves truthfully, Mm -hmm. over time, the avatar starts to represent themselves more and more. So when we're online, generally, we are expressing our true self. But unfortunately, people do act and behave and talk as if there's a shield between them, the real person, and the people that are receiving the information. I heard something recently that was, I guess, not surprising, but disappointing. And that is that more and more people are actually getting depressed because of their lack of likes and followers Mm -hmm. on Facebook and Instagram, et cetera, platforms. And in fact, Instagram recently stopped counting. They ran an experiment I heard in uh, the Canadian market where they stopped reporting on underneath your photo where it says this many people liked it. It would just say one person's name and others instead of counting them so that people would stop being so focused on that. And I thought, well, good for them. Obviously, they're very... Um, the social media platforms are very aware of what's going on there in terms of the human psychology and the social psychology element. They're also, frankly, counting on it because that's how and why people are so engaged in the platform. They, they want to go back and check five times a day how many likes they got on a certain post. So yes. my challenge to myself, to my kids, to whoever, is ask yourself, why am I doing this? Why am I posting this? Again, the why question, right? Hmm. It could be that you want to share something that you're doing on your vacation with people. Great. You want to show your family and friends where you are and what you're doing. That's great. Or is it because you're showing off? And maybe it is because you're showing off, but you, you know, just be aware of that. Are you doing it to test a friendship? <laughs> These people that say, I really want people to reply with my yes. name. It. I'm thinking, I saw a hilarious post recently <laughs> that said, Here's the thing. If you're a friend, if you're in my list of friends, you are a friend. I don't need to repost your post to prove it. Okay. Moving. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. So and I, I never I, reply to those. Yeah. Personally. I never do either. Every, a couple of times I've said, you know, you're like privately, I've said, you know, you're important to me. You don't need to repent. <laughs> How else do we influence one another on social media platforms? Uh, in terms of word of mouth and making decisions about what to buy or what to use, um, the internet has exploded word of mouth. So it used to be, you know, in the research, you know, how many people would you tell about this great restaurant experience or how many people would you tell about this hospital that you were at? And, you know, people would say, oh, I don't know, maybe three or five or maybe 10 people if it was amazing. And now it's, thousands or hundreds of thousands. And in the case of online influencers, it can be millions. So the expansiveness of our influence online has 
catapulted. I mean, I, I, I don't think you can overstate the significance of how much influence we have over each other. So again, go back to why are you saying what you're saying and mm-hmm. just make sure that you are purposeful in what you're communicating. And what about reading or being aware of maybe some hidden messages? I just read something recently, too, that talked about the danger for kids using social media in that the advertising that they see for food unconsciously registers. And then they tend, if they see a lot of junk food, say, being advertised, then they're more prone to go ahead and have that and crave it afterwards having been on social media versus a kid who wasn't i'm not sure that it really differs actually when it's online versus when it's on tv or on billboard or whatever Mm -hmm. but what you're describing is a concept in marketing that we call persuasion knowledge and Mm -hmm. that is what it sounds like so as you become more mature and more educated as you become more mature and more educated you understand better people's persuasion tendencies or desires and changes in your behavior that they're seeking. So we all know people that, you know, will cut out ads and say, Oh, here's an interesting article. Wait, no, 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 no. That is not an article. That's a advertorial, right? Where it's (laughs) was paid for by a company. That person's persuasion knowledge is not as high as it would be by a critical consumer who's always saying, okay, who paid for this message? Mm -hmm. Children really don't see the difference. And that's why in some jurisdictions, children are not allowed to be advertised to directly. And so companies that are doing advertising online that may be targeted at children, whether it's online or offline, you know, they're, they're told you can't, or they have to jump through hoops to be able to do it. You had a great podcast episode about uh, communicating effectively with your doctor. What did you learn and what can you share with the listeners? That was really fun. So I interviewed um, Dr. Joshua Tepper, who's the CEO at North York General Hospital here in Toronto. And he shared many, many, many things that were really helpful, um, I think, personally. And I know that um, the listeners did as well. So uh, an obvious one, I think I asked the question was bringing lists to your appointment. And he said, Mm -hmm. whether you have it handwritten or on your phone, It's always great because otherwise you may forget things. And he said, but also, and this is a new one for me, I hadn't thought about it explicitly. He said, make sure you prioritize. So ask the most important thing first. And he he shared the story of, um, you know, someone complaining about their knee or whatever. And then on their way out, he said, okay, well, I'll leave now and whatever. And then the patient says, oh, and by the way, I've had heart palpitations. (laughs) (laughs) So he said, lists are great, but make sure you always ask the thing that's bothering you the most first. Um, And the second thing was bringing people to your appointments. And again, he said, this is generally great because your friend or your parent or your child or whoever it is, is going to help you remember things. Um, And he also added, um, he also added that whether you are the patient or the person that's accompanying the patient, the patient should always have some one-on-one time with the doctor because sometimes they might not be comfortable sharing something with um, the person that they've come to the appointment with and the doctor needs to hear it. So that was something I hadn't thought of before. I asked him, I asked Dr. Tepper, 
does it drive you crazy when people come and they've self-diagnosed, they've Googled their mm. symptoms? Sure. And he really surprised me with this one. He said it doesn't bother him at all. He said, in fact, this has been going on since the beginning of, the, of time. It, it didn't always exist because of the internet. People before, previously would be asking their neighbors or their aunts or their uncles or their parents, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And then they'd come in and they'd be, they'd be self-diagnosed. He said, it's just that the information source um, is more readily available. And his, his main advice there is to always consider the quality of your information source. And if you're not sure whether the online source that you're looking at is reliable, to ask your doctor. They would mm. love to tell you. And again, mm-hmm. don't ask it in a threatening way. Like, well, I'm sure you've heard of this and blah, blah, blah. Just say, can you recommend some websites or online resources that I can use? Great tips. You touched upon this earlier in our conversation, but I wonder if you can expand upon what you've learned about your personal communication style from podcasting and if you've been surprised by anything. Well, I, I can tell you, and I know that this is not unique because I hear a lot of podcasters say this, that the whole experience of doing research and then producing podcasts and editing them and putting them out in the marketplace is way more fun and way more intense and way more hard work than they ever Mm -hmm. (laughs) thought it would be right so that definitely um surprised me but I think that the one thing that I've learned really goes back to something that I did mention which is two things listening and asking questions Mm -hmm. I feel like doing one-on-one interviews has forced me to become a better listener and I'm slowly feeling some of those skills in the interviewing come through in my otherwise personal and professional um, relationships and conversations. So mm-hmm. that's one thing. And then, um, and then asking questions and asking good questions. What is your personal definition of what it means to be healthy? All right. Well, until recently, I'm a, I'm a list person. I always have lists in my mind and my listeners will know this because I always give them lists. Here's a list of three things. Here's a list of five things. I always had in my mind when it comes to my health that I'm doing the best job of managing my health. If I looked after three things, sleep, exercise, and nutrition, warding off disease and feeling good and looking good. It's kind of my definition of what healthy is, Mm. but I need to add something here. I recently interviewed a wellness expert, And she has a different formula and it's the three E's of wellness, eating clean, Mm. exercise Mm -hmm. and emotional well-being. Mm. Mm -hmm. And I realized in my conversation with her that my emotional well-being, while it's something that I'm definitely interested in and focused on in general, I wasn't thinking of it explicitly as part of my overall health. and Mm. And I really should. So I guess that's my new formula for true health. Eating clean, exercise, and emotional well-being. Thank you so very much for a lovely conversation today. I really enjoyed talking to you and getting to know you more. And I learned a ton. Thank you so much, Nadine. I really had a great time. And again, it was a privilege. Thank you. And now it's time for practical tips. This episode is chock full of great tips by Dr. Andrea to improve our communication skills. Better communication encourages healthier and happier connections with the people in our lives, but it takes practice. 
So take a look at the show notes for this episode for links to Dr. Andrea's Talk About Talk podcast episodes mentioned in the show, her website, and her recent communication skills paper outlining the ABCDEs of communication. Just this week, I watched two of my family members put these skills into practice to transform what might have been a very unpleasant and ugly interaction to one that instead confirmed mutual respect and love and understanding. Thanks for being here. See you next time.